0: Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to another epic edition of The Jerry Jones Show, hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Jerry Jones, and today... I'm excited. I've got one of our uh, one of our ClearPath Society members um, on the line with me today in this uh, audio training, and uh, with me is Dr. Paul Carden, and Dr. Carden's out of Jefferson City, Missouri, and uh, uh, Dr. Carden has been a, a member and a ClearPass uh, Clear Society member rather, and subscriber to Dentistry Confidential for quite some time, and um, I uh, I did ask our our membership our uh, subscriber base for a couple of questions uh for uh for Dr. cardin throughout our uh, audio here for this this month. So we've got a couple of questions from subscribers and of course I I have a few myself um, to ask and uh but basically I I wanted to uh catch up with Dr. Carden, see how things are going, um, find out what's working for him right now and and um, and also ask the questions from our subscriber base. So uh, Dr. Carden, I'm assuming you can hear me okay.
1: Yep, coming through uh, loud and clear.
0: Fantastic. Well, um paul, why don't you share with our our listeners a little bit about uh you and your practice and um and kind of your your um you know kind of what's happened over the last couple of years and and um you know just kind of take us through a little bit of a story of where you started and where you're at now
1: <clears throat> okay um i kind <clears> of <throat> came into private practice uh by a a little more uh circuitous route than a lot of folks. I spent, uh, when I got out of dental school in 1985, I went into the Air Force and uh, just went in to do a general practice residency and fulfill a a three-year obligation, including the residency, and then move on into civilian practice. And it didn't quite happen that way. And it turned out that uh, because of various twists and turns and personal and professional matters, I ended up staying in for 22 years. So I never, I never really uh, had desired to be a, uh, you know, a a commanding dental officer, but that's kind of how I ended up. And, and I was eager by the time I uh, retired in 2007 to get into what I'd always wanted to do, which was private practice. And so uh, I, I got out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, that's where I'd grown up. And I thought that was a that was a fine place to live and, and, and get into recreation, and unfortunately, it's a very popular uh, destination for a lot of graduating dentists, and uh, there's, there's a pretty fair number of uh, new dentists coming to Colorado Springs all the time, and so <clears throat> one thing led to another. I, uh, I associated in a couple of practices for about a year and a half and finally decided that I might look for elsewhere for better opportunities. And I couldn't really find any in Colorado and ended up buying this practice in Jefferson City, Missouri, which I had no real ties to other than that my uh, my wife's parents live nearby in central Missouri. So we moved out here and, and bought a practice from a retiring dentist. And he's, he left the practice the day that I took over. And so I've been here since uh, early 2009. And uh, you know, very quickly understood that my my military background uh, had given me, you know, a, a number of clinical training opportunities, but <clears throat> hadn't really prepared me for uh, life in uh, in the world of you know fee for service dentistry. So, mm-hmm. I I went uh, well maybe six months before I got into a coaching relationship with a dentist in uh, Colorado, Chris Brady. Oh yeah. Um, I was a client of his for well, at least four years, maybe five, and uh, got some good tips from him and established some metrics that we would kind of set goals toward. And so um, that that went on for a while, but I <laughs> I still had to learn a few things the hard way and uh, made some some kind of rash decisions in some of my business practices that led to uh, a a uh, couple of rough years around 2014, 2015, and then uh, it was around that time that I started getting interested because uh, Chris Brady used to talk a lot about his days when he was uh, um, learning from Dan Kennedy about um, marketing, and mm-hmm. he dropped his name dozens and dozens of times at different seminars that I went to, and so I finally started to uh, read a little bit about um direct response marketing and and that eventually led me to become a a client of yours Jerry so uh, that's kind of helped us dig out of a kind of a low point that we had hit in 2014 2015 and things are much better now than they were then.
0: um, Life is quite a journey and um, wow I didn't realize you'd spent uh, I know you told me um, I I don't know if the time frame really sunk in but uh, 22 years um, uh, you know working um in the army that's a that's a huge commitment and, and thank you for your service um i'm sure there's a lot of uh young men and women that saw you during your time uh that were glad that you were there uh to help them out there's no question um and so I, it's appreciated from my uh from all of us here at Jerry Jones direct for your service um that's that thank you one heck of a commitment um I always get, uh, that's, that's one of those areas that I feel so, uh, passionate. I'm so passionate about, um, the recognition that is deserved for those who've, who've, who've served. And, um, that's just, that's really cool. Um, and we've got a number of docs here, um, in membership at Jerry Jones direct that have served. And it's just, it's a privilege to even work with folks, um, that have spent time, uh, you know, serving our country. So, uh, once again, thanks. Um, you mentioned Chris, uh Chris Brady and I go back a long a long ways. He's a he's a heck of a good guy and um I spent uh spent a lot of time with Chris in mastermind meetings and and so on. So I'm oh, yeah. I'm real familiar with Chris and um yep. and uh yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. He's got some great uh systems and processes for uh for office uh practice management. So another another mm-hmm. good good place to start for sure. Um you mentioned uh, 2014 you were kind of in a in a rough spot. Um what i mean cuz we've got you know on occasion we have a, we'll bring on a new member who's in a rough spot and i've been in a rough spots um more than once i've have found myself in a situation where i wished um things were different but um you know it there's a way to dig out of just about everything um what what was going on with you in in 2014
1: well you know i'd kind of um i'd kind of worked toward a more uh, minimalist kind of practice in terms of my staffing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just had, I was doing uh, four days a week of hygiene with one hygienist full time and one dental assistant and one uh, office manager slash receptionist. And uh, in the process of, uh, you know, and, and really trying to reduce the, number of people I had to see per day and and make each of our appointments a little more productive if at all possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can certainly work well and uh, I'm sure that I could work it more successfully than I did, but um, it seemed that uh, that model left me, uh, you know, where I, I really needed to book more uh, large cases, you know, case five to 10 to $15,000 per case. I had to get, you know, a few of those per month to really make that work. Mm-hmm. And we had some, we had some good years, but <clears throat> I think what really, uh, hurt me was that I, I got fed up one time. I, uh, it was around 2014. I think I, I saw that, uh, one of the big, uh, dental insurance companies had drastically reduced their rates. And I just said, I'm done with them. And uh, it happens that Jefferson City is the uh, state capital of Missouri, and mm-hmm. many of our patients are state employees. And uh, most of the state employees have this particular uh, insurance company's uh, benefit plan. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided I was going to opt out of their network, <laughs> that uh, that turned out to be much more uh, painful, have consequences that were more painful than I anticipated. Yeah. And uh, so we started having more vacancies in the schedule and patients that decided, you know, even though they liked the staff here personally, they just felt obligated to go elsewhere and get an in-network provider. Yeah. So that was one of those hard uh, lessons that you learn by doing a stupid thing. And I probably hadn't spent uh, nearly enough time calculating the cost of losing a lot of those patients. So, um Anyway, uh, we just, we really seem to have uh, far fewer new patients, uh, fewer total patient visits, and our production per visit went down, and so I found myself uh, inclined to try and do some things to rev up uh, the volume of our business, and so now we're, we're doing seven days a week for hygiene. I still only have one dental assistant and one person at the front desk, um, but we've, we do a a much higher volume than I was doing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure compared to younger docs and docs who've gone, um, you know, into private practice through different pathways than my own, uh, my weekly workload would still be underwhelming to a lot of them because I'm sure there's many docs who see many more patients than I do. But I kind of feel like after, uh, after working uh, in the military system for 22 years that, I I guess I don't feel quite as hungry or quite as uh, eager to run myself ragged trying to see, uh, you know, a a huge number of people per day. So
0: you got a quality of life uh, going for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, as I said, there's, there's a lot of opportunities in the military to get trained in different things, but um mostly they don't train you really to see 30 or 40 people a day they treat you they they train you to see about you know 6 to 10 people a day or 12 and, you know the, the standard restorative doc schedule is probably not much more than 6 to 10 to 12 people a day sure so i had uh, you know a long training and sort of a slow <laughs> uh <laughs> slow volume or low volume of uh, patient care yeah but so I think the way I practice now is, you know, maybe a little, I hustle a little more than I had to when I was in uniform, but uh, I'm comfortable with it, and it uh, pays my bills, and
0: uh-huh.
1: so and, and I enjoy having the time to spend with my patients to, you know, build that relationship with them a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well I think that's a good um there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Volume is um you know the nice thing about dentistry is there's literally a a, a thousand different business models that uh, that an individual can pursue. Uh the challenge is finding the right business model for you and it sounds like you've you've settled into a real nice spot um uh so the I the question that probably a lot of folks are wondering right now is did you opt back into that big insurance company?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I, uh, I had to eat a little crow there and, and a little humble pie and, and uh, get back in with them. But I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm not at the uh, at the lowest fee level. I'm, you know, somewhere in their tiers of... And, and I, I have to confess that uh, I'm probably one of the less knowledgeable practitioners when it comes to insurance plans. And I've uh, purposefully... Uh, dodged learning about a lot of that in depth so i know they have different tiers of uh, participation and i'm probably at the you know a little bit of the higher fee end of their uh, of their tiers Mm -hmm.
0: nothing wrong with that um there's a the the old saying there's a there's a seat there's a butt for every seat a seat for every butt so um that's just fine uh, yeah. If it works for you, that's what's important. Do you see yourself making any adjustments in the coming years, uh, or even the next maybe year or so? Um, oh yeah, yeah. What? Tell me so, about. Tell me what kind hmm. of adjustments you're thinking.
1: So, um, you know, I I know that at some point I'm uh, I'm over the age of 60 now, and I've got uh, my youngest child is uh, going off to college this summer, and so I figure I'll I'll practice long enough to make sure she gets through college okay, and mm-hmm. uh, but the rest of my kids are kind of independent by now, so I probably will transition in some fashion out of dentistry, and given the way that uh, a lot of the younger docs graduating now have higher debt loads, um, I'm not expecting to, you know, to sell the practice and, and walk away from it the way that the Previous owner did with me, uh, so I think what I'm going to have to do is probably build up the uh, the total amount of production that we do enough that I can bring in an associate and uh, transition into that associate's uh, being here full time. And mm-hmm. so that's probably in the next two three years that I need to see that that happens in some fashion, and I would step back, you know, and work a little bit less.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a uh, you're you're right in uh, thinking ahead a couple two three years um, the associates uh, finding a finding an individual that meets your you know morals ethics values that fits that uh, isn't easy um, that's probably going to be the most challenging part of the whole process is finding that right person and it can take a little time but um, it's certainly doable and um, and and there again it's kind of like the way you practice there are so many ways to do transitions that can be successful it uh, it's just kind of identifying, you know, what you want out of the transition and, and what your time frame is like. And, um, and, and so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of soul searching to do, so to speak, and a lot of questions yeah. to ask yourself, but, uh, yeah, it's all possible. It's all absolutely possible. Um, so going back to 2014, 2015, um, you find yourself, you know, in a, in a situation that isn't ideal, um, you know, whatever that situation might look like financially and new patient numbers wise, um, you decided to take some take some action. What what did the action look like? What sort of brought you to that point where you're like, okay, I've got to do something because what I'm doing isn't working?
1: <laughs> well, I kind of started out reading uh, a couple of books that Chris Brady had recommended, and uh, one of them was by Harry Beckwith. I can't remember the title of the doggone thing now, but it was uh, uh, had something to do with uh, Know, how you how you position yourself in the marketplace. And then I read one of Dan Kennedy's No BS books. Um, and it, that sort of started me on a long uh, binge, which continues today, of just reading about uh, you know business and marketing. And, and so I think the first thing I did was I got uh, connected with, through GKIC, uh, with a business mentor, or uh, I forget what they called him. He was kind of a coach, and we mm-hmm. had about eight weeks' worth of hour long phone calls my wife and I and and this uh, gentleman and he kind of uh, coached us through some things uh, uh you know how how would we position ourselves what sort of what made us unique in our marketplace
0: yeah.
1: and uh, and then he he got us to start producing a monthly newsletter
0: mm-hmm. and
1: had some you know ideas about how we could do that my wife's She's kind of a creative person. She's done a lot of graphic arts work over the years. And and, uh, so if I wrote the copy, and she could kind of tweak it for me and add the graphics and things. So we started out doing a a monthly newsletter back in the, I guess it was early 2015, Mm -hmm. and have continued that to, to this day. So that was one of the things, just try and make sure that we hung on to the patients that were loyal to us and gave them a reason to keep coming back and kind of generate a little bit of excitement. We had contests in each of our letters that, uh, you know, we'd pick some special winner of a, of a package. Marcy, my wife would, uh, arrange for some kind of a prize package that, uh, was themed with, you know, a particular holiday or something like that. And so we did that and, and tried to uh, build up a little bit of, you know, and collect reviews online and, uh, so uh, that's, that's gone pretty well and, and helped to you know, gather uh, more, more reviews. And, and we hear quite a bit now that people find us uh, either through our direct mail pieces or they find us on the web. And, and fortunately, we've got enough uh, good reviews on uh, different review sites quite a few more than any of our other competitors locally that uh, a lot of people come to us because, you know, they've either direct searched us on the Internet or have, uh, you know, found out about us through one of our direct mail pieces and then decided to, uh, you know, look us up and find out what we were like online and then uh, come on in. And then we've, we've also had a number of direct referrals from, uh, loyal patients, so uh, those have all combined to have, uh, create a, a little greater volume of business and, uh, you know, a lot of recurring people that we like to see and that are, you know, people that make your day more enjoyable because you you know their background, you know their story, you've taken care of problems that they've had over the years and that's that makes dentistry satisfying for me.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned um going through a process and asking yourself how how would how would we different you and marcy how would you differentiate uh your practice in the community with you know with the others that are there um it, it, the first question I guess should be is there a lot of competition in your area
1: um you know compared to the front range of Colorado or other places in the uh in the country no it's not uh, i don't know how many dental practices i i think Ten years ago, there were maybe 20 or five or so dentists that I could count, and I think we're probably still somewhere in the 25 to 35 dentists practicing, some of whom are part-time, some are full-time. But uh, it's not a terribly competitive town. Jeff City's only 40,000 people, and it's kind of stayed about 40,000 people for quite a while. It's, it's essentially flatlined in terms of its uh, population growth. So it's not the most competitive place, and honestly, when we first came to town, very few people had even a presence on the internet, you know, in terms of a web page or anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody was collecting, uh, you know, anything with social media, Or which, you know, I have to confess, we kind of got on board with, with social media, and eventually I kind of have I've slacked off on that because I just didn't see a lot of great return coming from it. We haven't used Facebook ads, and I'm sure those could be effective, but anyway... I don't I don't pursue that quite like I did a few years back, but uh, you know now little by little you see the local uh, dental population, the other practitioners in town all kind of slowly trying to catch up to where we were in that area. Mm-hmm. But I think what what we've uh, what we've tried to do in terms of um, creating a, a little niche for ourselves, I'm probably the only general practitioner in town that uses IV sedation. I know a lot of other folks, you know, do, uh, there there there's multiple other practitioners in town that do oral sedation, and and that's fine, patients like that, but um, I probably do a little bit more surgery. Um, You know, I've, I've done my own implant surgery for years, and so we've pushed that, and I'm not the only guy in town doing that, but I might do a little bit more for ones who want to be sedated when they're Having any kind of surgery, uh, I'm probably um, I probably have that more prominently featured in my uh, presentation to the public than other offices in town. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the only other thing is just you know that there's other practices that are a little bit more aggressive in terms of their marketing through TV or radio ads or maybe uh, newspaper ads and we hear quite often that people have gone there once, you know, they got enticed by a, an ad and they just didn't like the quality of the service. And so mm-hmm. we've tried to, to really distinguish ourselves by just, you know, giving people a little more personalized care and spending a little more time to get to know them and not just, you know, pushing them into the chair and back out into the hallway as quick as we could get their work done.
0: You're sort of avoiding the high-production factory uh, type um, label yeah. then by doing that, by, I, you know, by I
1: think those those offices that have that have pursued that route. Uh, there is one franchise chain here in town, Aspen Dental, and uh, you know they they obviously are going to be uh, staffed more often by uh, younger practitioners who are you know just recently out of school and maybe haven't always had a lot of experience solving challenging situations. So anyway, I think we've we just tried to establish ourselves as being, you know, a place where you got a little better quality of service and a, a little more personalized service. We try to not make people wait. That was something that, uh, that the Air Force drummed into my head was that uh, it was bad form to make people wait for their appointment. So uh, we try to be on time for any visit. And uh, other than that, um you know, pretty pretty basic bread and butter dentistry. The rest of it.
0: Okay. Um, uh, on your uh, website, I th- I think this is really instructive. Um, so for those listening, I hope I hope you do go, go to your go to Doctor Carden's website. It's uh, Stadium Dental or Stadium City Dental. Is that is that correct? Is that your St- website?
1: Stadium Dental Center. Stadium, Stadium Dental, Dental, Dental Center.
0: Dot com. Stadium Dental Center dot com. Um, I would encourage everybody to go to Stadium Dental dot com and and watch the video. Um, the video is, uh, Dr. Cardin, and um, basically you're just covering, uh, you welcome people to the site, you thank them for visiting, and then you cover the things that are on most people's minds when they make an appointment. Um, I think your video is uh, it's great. It's to the point. It's simple. It lets people know you're a real individual. They get to see who you are. They get to see you're not, you know, um, that, you, that there's a name with the face. And you talk about the things that people care about i 'm um, not going to get into what you talk about, but I think it 's you know you you address the things that are on people 's minds so um, if you want to see a well done uh, video and a, and a great website it 's obviously very effective too um, go go check out uh, dr Carton's website um, now you mention you 've mentioned, you've mentioned uh, newsletters and direct mail um, when you when you think about a newsletter and you think about the one that you guys have been putting together for quite some time now um, and and Marcy, obviously, you know, she does a great job, and she's got a, a knack for, um, you know, her her, back, her background and what she loves to do. It comes through in, in what you guys are, are doing there. Um, what are, how important has a newsletter been to you? Because, I mean, to me, I think the first thing that goes through a doctor's mind is, oh, that's just a lot of money I'm going to waste. Um, they don't necessarily attribute it to what you mentioned, which was um, helping STEM attrition. Uh, you know, yeah. keeping patients involved. How important do you think it's been to your practice?
1: Well, you know, other people have referred to that newsletter as kind of helping to build a fence around your clientele. And and uh, one of the ways that a newsletter does that is to let people know who you are and, and what you stand for. And, and it's not all serious. It's not all, uh, you know, thumping my chest and, and telling them, you know, what things in life are most important to me. But we'll let them in on little family events or, you know, maybe an anecdote, uh, something that's pertinent to the time of year, perhaps. And it just kind of lets people know, you know, who you are and and what you stand for and uh, inject a little bit of fun from time to time, maybe something a little tongue in cheek and not take ourselves too awful seriously. And uh, so I think, you know, it's funny because, uh, I I hear from time to time, it's fairly often, especially from older patients. They really they really read it, which oh, yeah. is kind of funny because you know, <laughs> I mean of course you don't print and send out a newsletter and expect nobody's going to read it. But then sometimes you know you get newsletters of your own sometimes, and you don't always read all of them. But I have patients that ask me about things that I commented on in uh, you know in a paragraph about something that happened and. Uh, you know, they, they tell me they like it, and so that that's great, and I think even for younger patients that are in busy stages of their life, it's not only the senior citizens that will comment on it, but I think it's it's just a way of helping them identify, is this the kind of person that I want to carry on a long-term business relationship with as a health practitioner, or is this is this somebody who's just superficial and, and is really only interested in collecting my check? Um, so it helps make Make your uh, yourself a little better known, and and we don't always do this. Our, our newsletter format now is just a two-page thing. Back when we had a four-page newsletter, we'd put in a little patient uh, patient of the month feature. You know, tell some stories about somebody that we knew, hoping that you know, in a town this size, oftentimes they're going to know somebody connected to the patient that you featured. Um, and uh, what else do we put in there? Anyway. We, uh, just usually uh, do some things to make each newsletter a little bit unique. It's great to have a little bit about dentistry, but usually it's mostly not about dentistry. There'll be one dental feature, and everything else is about games and pop culture and recipes and whatnot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what sort of um, what sort of uh, frequency are you publishing your newsletter? Uh, we're going
1: every month and I I think that people that I've studied and listened to um, kind of felt like if you try to do it every other month or every quarter it's just not often enough and Mm -hmm. uh, you know there I think if you really want to stay in front of your customers you kind of have to you know commit to doing that on a monthly basis and honestly You know, if you you get more, of course, you know, with the newsletter that you help produce for us and send out, there's always uh, referral cards with our name and phone number and, you know, an offer of an incentive for uh, referring some of your acquaintances to the office. So um, those are the best, most, uh, they're the ones that are going to trust my diagnosis and treatment recommendations the most. Uh, as opposed to somebody who found me out of the phone book or, uh, you know, just came to my office because they drove by accidentally. So uh, I just think we we don't spend really on newspaper. We don't spend on TV. We don't spend on the radio. I did that for a while. and That was a big waste of money. <laughs> of course, it wasn't set up the way it could have been. But... Uh, Anyway, you know, I just feel like we're getting more bang for our buck with our direct mail pieces and and the newsletter. Uh, Yeah. It's, you know, if you spent nothing, you're certainly not going to expect to get much for it, so.
0: Right, right. I think, you know, newsletters to me are always one of those things that um, it it accomplishes something that I don't know if really any other media can. I mean, maybe video, but I don't ever see – A doctor producing a monthly, you know, video newsletter, or you know, even regular videos for that matter, Um, it's a relationship builder. You know, Um, it it uh, it crosses a well. First of all, it's it's invasive in a very good way. So it buys you time and real estate in your in your patient's home, Um, and it has that opportunity for pass along versus, you know, um, it's it's physical. It's there. You can touch it. It's tactile. Um, it isn't something that is, you know, vaporizing or evaporating or, you know, social media post that's here this second and completely forgotten about minutes later, you know, or seconds yeah. later. It, it has some shelf life. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's something that is there's – there's a conversation that is had between the sender and the receiver that is – it's a silent conversation, but it's, it's a very important one. And that is it just says, I care enough to send this to you. I care enough about our relationship to let you know what's going on in our dental office. And I don't know if there's another thing that can do or accomplish that that level of relationship building. I mean, it might be, but I think it's it's tough to replicate it. And so for the, the you know, when it comes to bang for your buck, um, I've always thought that there isn't really anything that touches a newsletter. It just, it's uh you know, it's just really, it's kind of like the premier thing that you can do to, to continue to build a relationship over time uh, that doesn't require your manual labor. You know, it doesn't require you to sit down and have coffee with, you know, 1,500 of your patients, <laughs> um, which would obviously be the best way. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Um, you mentioned referrals. Do you, um, do you what sort of, uh, out of, you know, let's say you had, uh, well, do you know what percentage of referrals come from your patients each month?
1: You know, I I regret to say that I couldn't tell you that number. I I would say in a given month we'll probably get three or four. Okay. But you know they're they're golden, and uh, you know compared to other new patients, that's a higher quality type of uh, of new patient overall.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Good. Um, you also mentioned direct mail, and um, and I know you've you've been doing direct mail with us for a, a long time. Um, it's kind of an odd-looking piece. It certainly looks different than everything that's, you know, that hits the mailboxes. Um what what is that or what do you feel or how do you feel that's helped your practice or have you can, do you have a quantifier with it or um I know you've been at it for a couple of years it seems like. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, well I was just looking back today, you know, just in, in uh, anticipation of our conversation and you know, I look back in uh uh 20 2015, during the entire year, there was 250 new patients that that our software counted. In 2016, when we started using it, it went from 252 to 399, which was a 58.33% increase. And in the uh, the subsequent year, we've kind of held that that same level. And that's about where I want to be. You know, for one doc with one assistant, I don't need 45 new patients every month which by the way we got 45 new patients the first time we ran that retro uh, um,
0: piece of FSI.
1: <laughs> and we were swamped and I you know I was only doing four days of hygiene at the time and we had to add a day or two of hygiene to accommodate that that additional business and in a town this size finding more hygienists is not the easiest thing to do uh, for hire yeah so uh you know, I think right now we we average around you know 25 to 30 new patients a month, which is really about double what we used to uh, do prior to using the direct mail and and the newsletter. And so that that feels pretty good to us right now. That's that generates about enough new patient calls to uh, to fill the books as we've got them set up and. Uh, mm-hmm. So if I if I but I also have confidence that if I really wanted to ramp it up significantly more that I could still do that if I wanted to bring in another doc and mm-hmm. you know be in the office another day of the week then uh, I think that we could certainly uh, achieve that predictably.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't have any doubt. Um, combining what you're doing right now because I think if every dental practice owner in America did what you do and that's all they did they would be so far ahead of where they are now um, in other words the doctors that aren't marketing and or they're afraid to market or they don't know what to do or how to do it if they just sent a newsletter to their best patients you know maybe the top five six seven eight hundred new uh, patients that they have and they and they were consistent in executing a direct mail strategy each month um, and yeah it's not it's going to change over time your direct mail piece changes over your time you know over time um, and yes it has to be effective but you know, just executing those two things um, is so powerful. And then, you know, because you're plugging the hole in the bucket with patient with the patient newsletter, and you're attracting new patients with the patient newsletter and with the direct mail postcards. So it's a it's you're you're doing two things, and uh, and they're great. And then you've got the internet on top of that, and that the website's great, and you're pulling in new patients from that. You've got great reviews. Um I, I mean, you're really sitting in a good spot. To go from four days of hygiene to now seven, that's almost double in, you know, about yeah. two years, uh, uh, probably two years. That's that's pretty darn respectable um, in my mind. Um, so it, it sounds like, you know, that's – it sounds like you've got it tuned in just right where you want it, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. That's That seems like about where we want to be yeah. for the time being. And, you know, <laughs> that may change in the future, but – for yeah. now, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, what did Marcy? I, I'm curious because I, I remember this conversation <laughs> that I had with Marcy when I met her. What um, would you mind sharing what she thought of the of the direct mail postcard the first time she saw it?
1: Oh, she loves it because <laughs> you know the whole idea of a, of a pattern interrupt. She gets that, and you know she she was in. Um, oh God, I'm trying to remember what what her marketing or her. I mean, she was. She's the daughter of a realtor and so her mom did a lot of uh you know marketing on her own. She didn't hire any agency to do her marketing. She did a lot of it on her own door to door. And so Marcy's always been interested in that and when she saw that black and white retro look, she loved it. Yeah. And uh, it's killed. It's done great.
0: Yeah. Uh it's it's just a it's a real classic format and um, I mean I I just I mailed 73 or 400 postcards uh, for my office in the month of January, and um, yeah, I mean we—I don't know—one patient for every 390 pieces we mailed, so I'm mm. I'm pretty happy with those numbers. Yeah. But I, I know you're doing you're doing real close to that, if not even better. I think you might even be doing better. Your market's a lot less uh, saturated than mine. I've Saturated, got, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I will say it's not only the artwork; it's not only the retro artwork; it's the copy, and I I know you've uh, <laughs> you're the influencer or the creator of the copy, and it's it's great copy.
0: Yeah it is, it, uh, it is. Thank you. Um well, let's talk a little bit about um and I appreciate all your thoughts by the way and, and, uh about what what we're doing here and um I'm really proud of the team and, and the work we do and, and uh, our goal is just make phones ring. Um that's that's really what it boils down to. Um good uh, question for you. What are you focusing on now today that you weren't a year ago?
1: Um you know, what I'd like to do this year is, uh, you know, get back to, uh, you know, boosting up. I think last year we kind of, our, our year was, it was better than the year before, and it was mostly just kind of doing bread and butter dentistry. Um, I'd like to get, you know, increase our, our implant production. Um, I'd like to, uh, you know, have a little bit more... Uh, you know, multi-unit cases than we've had in the past, and um, so some of that's about case presentation skills, and and some of it's about you know having a, a um, an implant seminar type of uh, marketing effort, which I did actually did that for a couple of years in 2012, 2013, I think, and we we actually got some pretty big implant cases out of doing that. But in a market this size, what I found was that the frequency of holding those seminars, we were doing them just a little too close together, and we kind of uh, saw the response rate drop pretty dramatically over about an 18-month period. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd like to get back into doing those again because nobody else around here is doing them. If anybody's even thought of doing them, there's no sign of it. Right. And uh, it did bring in some good cases for us.
0: Oh, those are those are those are exciting, and they're fun to do, um, and they do they work as you know they work really really well. So, um, yeah, when when that time comes, by the way, and you've probably seen the piece, but we've got a really killer um, piece to get folks at least to a dinner, um, if not a if not an all out just a regular presentation um, mm-hmm. seminar type situation. But yeah, those are those are fun. Um, we have a lot of members that do really well with those. Um, let's talk two for a minute about mindset, and then I want to get to the questions from our subscribers um how do you how do you think or approach dentistry and the business of dentistry in particular differently today than you did after you know after coming out of the service for twenty two
1: years <laughs> well you know the the one thing that really kind of hurt me when I went in as an associate there i I joined a a dentist who uh, I was her first associate uh, and she came out of uh, franchise dentistry doing high-volume high-pressure uh, dentistry and uh, she had three hygienists going all the time and and uh, and I thought well you know I I've done full mouth reconstructions I've done you know impacted wisdom teeth with sedation I've done you know lots of different stuff I do my own perio surgery I'll you know I'll just send the cases to me and I'll do them. And what I didn't really recognize was that when people didn't have to pay for that care in the military, it was easy to just tell them what they needed and they said, okay, let's do it.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, and then I found out that was not really such an easy sell. And I, and I didn't really comprehend that my case presentation skills needed lots of work. So uh, yeah, I'm a lot more attuned now to the uh, price sensitivity that patients have. And, and you know, you have to convey, that there's, uh, you know, sufficient value to justify the fee that you're asking them to come across with, so. Yeah. How do
0: you, how how best have you learned to do that? So, I mean, you've got to pay, let's say, uh, I'll just maybe paint an example picture. So, you've got a 55-year-old, um, I think, uh, well, first of all, are men harder to sell than women, or are they easier to sell for you?
1: Yeah, men are men are harder, I think.
0: Yeah, they're a little hard-headed and kind of, you know, we know it all. We'll live just fine without our teeth. Um, sure. It's like me, the other day, you know, I had a, I was at um, the dermatologist, and I was having, uh, I had a piece of uh, some skin cancer moved off my head, and he said, well, hopefully I got it all. If I didn't, you know, the the you know the doctor will call you. This is the PA telling me this. You know, the doctor will call yeah. you. We'll have to do moes. I'm like, God, I don't want to go through moes, and you know, I'm a baby when it comes to knives and all that stuff, and cutting on my head. So, uh, of course, you know, it comes back, and it's basal cell, and, yeah, you know, we're going to have to get you in for Moe's. And so the whiny weenie that I am, I go to the PA. I make an appointment to see the PA to get my stitches out, and I said, hey, um, is there any way we can avoid this Moe's thing? Can we just, like, maybe go in for one more try at this, just go deep as, you know, as deep as the doc's comfortable going or you're comfortable going? He was like, well, I'm past my comfort zone, but I'll talk to the doctor. I'll tell him you're – and, I you know, I of course, I play the, you know, I'm uninsured – angle as much as I can yeah. you know I play that up and uh, and it works so instead of a $3,500 Moe's surgery I'm going in for a $750 excision um, all because uh-huh. I'm a baby and I wind but there you know I mean that's uh, men to me would be much harder to sell dentistry to than women and so oh, you, yeah. you can't play the vanity factors as much either so no you can't so let's say you have um, a 55 year old male sitting in the chair and, and money necessarily isn't the issue it's not money although it always is an issue um, but let's just say that you know the guy's financially fine. Um, what what sort of motivating factors are you using to get that stubborn sob to say, "All right, Doc, let's go ahead and get it done"?
1: Well, um, you know, I'm I'm not going to claim any uh, originality here. This was kind of taught to me by a better case presenter than me. Uh, <laughs> it's it's much better if I don't talk very much. And uh, this this other practitioner, his uh, his rule of thumb was, Doc, you got about 50 words to speak. And if you introduce yourself, you've used up about four or five of them right there. So, <laughs> um, you know, certainly, you know, a young lady talking to him about treatment options in lay terms is probably going to be more effective because they don't, number one, perceive uh, a direct connection between the fee being charged and that uh, dental assistant or dental hygienist uh, pocketbook, or when I'm pitching it to them, it's going to sound like, well, sure, you know, I saw what you're driving. I got to you want me to pay for your car? You want me to pay for your kids' college? And so I, I try not to not to talk about it at great length. I try not to talk about the process at all. Talk about the benefits briefly, <clears throat> and just you know, exude confidence that you know you ha- you have a need here. Hopefully, we have already established in their mind that there is a condition for which, um, you know, there's a there's treatment warranted at least. If you don't want to call it a need, at least there's there's warrant for replacing that missing tooth or uh, crowning that cracked tooth or whatever. Um, so, if, if we've established that they have a condition that warrants consideration for treatment, then I'm just going to try and you know, make sure that the benefits, uh, that I'm confident they'll receive the benefits that they desire. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, my, my staff can kind of clue me into what's really making them tick. Is it is it fear of pain? Is it uh, vanity? Is it, uh, you know, fear of time being lost or loss of, of uh, quality of life, loss of function, whatever they're, you know, usually those pain, loss of pain function and, and appearance or the benefit areas they care about so i try mm-hmm. to point them in that direction but mm-hmm. i still have to you know say that i i could uh do a lot better at reducing my verbiage and you know keeping the uh message simple and to the point
0: staying out of the weeds uh, as it were yeah. yeah that's that's a challenge and when you know your craft as well as you do um it's difficult to not go technical not get into the you know into the um, into the, the features, you know, and even the mm-hmm. benefits sometimes can can get stretched out way too far. Um, yeah. We're all, I think, we're all guilty of that. Uh, when, once we know our craft, and um, it's tough. And I think, I think you're smart to to even say aloud to yourself, "Hey, this is an area that I still need to work on." And you're right. We we always need constant coaching. Our team needs constant coaching and training, and we do as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's you, you got them, You got the. Uh, you, to me, you got about a, a nine and a half out of ten on that one because you're right. It's it is about those three or four things that, that men respond to, um, and believe it or not, most men don't want to think that they look that they have a snaggle tooth or they're ugly. I mean, they really don't. You know, they <laughs> want to be comfortable in their appearance. It's just they don't express that the same way women do. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And and nor are they willing to go to the pain extremes that women go to. And if I had to guess. If we were to survey a hundred men on dental implants, I bet you that the vast majority of them would cite pain as the reason why they didn't want a dental implant. Now, for yeah. someone like you that places them all day long, um, you're probably placing them without even the the patient even you know like jerking a muscle or anything. You're probably in there and out, and they don't even know it happened. Um,
1: it's always good to hear you know afterwards wow, you know I. I didn't take any pain pills that night. And you go, yeah, I, that's what I told you. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I, I don't promise people they won't need to take anything. But I said, you know, this is not going to be anything like you're expecting it. And, yeah. And uh, they generally find that's that's correct.
0: Yeah, good. Good. All right. So I've got a couple of questions here from subscribers um, that I promised I would ask. And um, this first one, each one of the questions are kind of long, the lead-in to them. It's a l- little long just to give you some, um, you know, some background, I guess. Um, so this one comes from a subscriber. His, his question uh, is as follows. With a busy practice and a large number of new patients each month. So this was the assumption that you had, a, you had a busy practice and a large number of new patients, which to him you may have a large practice, and to other people, you know, it's, it's all relative. Um, yeah. How do you handle the time commitment for each one? Um, that's the first question. Um, and uh, the second question is how do you balance – well, this is the question. How do you balance the time a patient – spends with you your assistant your hygienist your treatment coordinator coordinator, and so on uh, and how's that process choreographed so maybe take us through what it's like to be a new patient in your practice and about how much time is spent by each member of your team
1: um okay so you know a new arrival in the office is going to spend you know 10 or 15 probably 15 minutes uh you know working with my uh my front uh, office manager and and uh kind of getting, you know, the usual information you got to collect. Um, She will come bring that person back and hand them off to us as, uh, you know, kind of tell us a synopsis of what she's learned about that person, their name, what do they like to be called, you know, how they find the office, what are they here for, and so we work on those, you know, trying to um, manage time by distilling down to the essentials the communication from the patient to us that that is necessary and not making the patient recite the same story to three different people and and take the full length of time on each one of them. So usually by the time uh, they've given that handoff, you know, the the front desk to our dental assistant or hygienist or whomever, Uh, if they're coming in here a lot of them are coming in to see the hygienist and um, it helps the person see that that lady actually did listen to me. She she picked up the stuff that I shared with her, and so it reinforces that that we're trying to listen and respect their uh, interests. And um, so I think that's one thing. of when I come in to see a new patient, when I sit down for that first exam, I just say, "Let's hear what Geraldine, my my hygienist, let's let's hear what uh, Gerilyn can tell me about you, and we'll see how well she listened." And uh, she always does a great job, and and. Patients will sometimes remark, wow, you, you really paid attention, didn't you? And So that's that's one thing is just to, it doesn't take as much time for her to give that brief synopsis of, of the patient's background and dental history and whatnot. And uh, it gives me the essential information. And then I can, you know, address the things that are of most importance to them instead of uh, treating everybody like, you know, just another another random face in my chair. Yeah. And I don't know if that answers the, you know, the the time management thing, but I I just personally, I try and do 80% of my production as a doctor. I try and do 80% of my production before lunch. And I don't book a lot of, uh, in the afternoons, I don't book a lot of, uh, you know, big procedures. I book the, you know, the person that comes in needing two or three fillings that goes after lunch. And, uh, Mm You know the big stuff we do before lunchtime, and so I try as as much as possible to spend the time that that patient's in in my chair, there in the room with them, and not racing up and down the hall seeing you know umpteen other people that need five minutes or three minutes of my time. Right. That
0: um you you gave some really great <laughs> information there. I hope it's not lost on our listeners. I I, I want to I kind of go back if I could. Um, the the fact that I mean you're demonstrating to your patients that you guys listen and it's done through that process you just outlined which is phenomenal that's the first thing that came to my mind was uh, you demonstrated to the patient that you listen and you care um, and and that's why you get those reactions because they're probably not around that very much where somebody you know they're, they're asked a question the person actually listens and then it's repeated back to a third party in front of them. I, I imagine that happens very rarely. And so that's a powerful demonstration that you're listening. Um, the other part of it is you have, you have assigned duties um, to to the individuals in your, in your practice. And your military background, I'm sure, has been a huge help in, in making sure that everyone knows what their station is, what's required at their station, um, and what they need to be doing and what you expect of them Uh, you know, as a dental assistant, as a hygienist, as a front office person. So there's a lot that you've said there, um, much more. uh, There's a ton of lessons, I guess, uh, you know, in what you've said. So really great, really great information. So communication for you, communication is probably at the very top of what you expect from your team, Um, accurate, consistent communication. Would that be a good way to put it?
1: Oh yeah, and honestly, you don't know, you don't get trained about it in any of your training in school. There's is very little to no communication uh, training, and that's such an essential part of what we do. And and it's it's a big part of what makes for a good patient experience in the practice. If you're good at it, then uh, they they praise you to their peers, and if you're bad at it, then uh, they'll badmouth you a lot of times.
0: Oh yeah, deservedly. <laughs> all day long Um, All right. next question Um, this one is from another subscriber he says uh, one question we uh, always struggle with is how do you keep track or follow up with patients that have fallen out of the schedule or have raised their hand but have not started treatment Um, their comment is the hardest issue we have is getting back in touch with the patient and creating that urgency to getting started so this kind of has to do with somebody falling through the cracks Um, they they go from you know somebody who's been diagnosed to now undone treatment
1: yeah well, we've tried different ways of dealing with that and, and uh, you know, printing reports out of our software that identify some of those uh, situations and following up on them. And, you know, for whatever reason, we haven't executed as successfully on that. But um, I actually ended up, um, we use uh, a, a voice over internet protocol company, uh, Weave, and they at one time had a, uh, had folks working in their shop who have since broken off to a separate business called call force and call force can tap into my software, generate active patient lists who are, who are overdue for being seen and call them after 6 PM. So I don't have to have my staff staying late or, you know, people sometimes you just have a hard time reaching them uh, at home during the day or at the office during the day. But call is uh, they they have a, a fee they charge per person if they book uh, an appointment for us and so they've kind of gone through some of those patients that have dropped out of contact with us and reached them by phone and uh, so that's been somewhat helpful and I you know I wouldn't say uh, we probably haven't optimized our results there yet but it's it certainly uh, brought in some people that we had lost contact with that Uh, we're still interested in coming in
0: yeah good I think that's a great um, a great process and and the key there to me is that whether you want to do it in your office or outsource it such as you've done um, is timing is Call people when they're available to be called um, and use text messaging. And I'm sure, knowing who this is coming from, I know this office is, is pretty sophisticated, um, and they will definitely imagine be contacting the folks that you mentioned there um, you know, to, to help them with that because I know they're pretty advanced when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, you know, with with undone treatment, yeah, there's really, it's one of those things that you have to have, um, you know, it has to be a regular focus. And um, it's so easy to get behind and quickly get out of touch with, you know, who haven't we scheduled that we should have, who canceled last week that we haven't followed up with. And I think it's important, too, to really, um, for your team to understand and use the, you know, the tools available to them, uh, particularly practice management software. I know Dentrix has um, a process, you know, for canceling appointments and making sure those don't turn into undone treatment. But I think the idea of, you know, getting back to them after six o'clock, I think a personal letter from the doctor to that patient is great. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of ways to do it: text messaging and, you know, email, whatever, but I think it's just the process of doing it is, is really, um, step one is making sure you're actually doing it. Um, last question from a subscriber, um, uh, one of our is uh, actually a, one of our newer members here at Jerry Jones Direct at, for Clearpath Society. is um, having some issues on collections. Um, they have uh, well over six figures due to them. But little, li- very little is trick- trickling in. Um, their uh, insurance carriers are uh, some are cooperating, some are you know uh, being insurance companies. You know there there are delays, and some of those delays are data entry errors on on the doctor doctor's team's end. Um, they've set up automatic deposit versus having their checks mailed or they're in the process of setting that up. Um, they have a definitive written collection policy. And I think, you know, for this doctor, he's looking – he's getting a little nervous um, or a lot nervous about, you know, there's all this money out there. I've got bills to pay. Um, what would be your advice if you had this colleague call you up and say, Paul, this is a situation I'm in. I've got well over six figures due to me it's trickling and really, really slow. I'm nervous. Um, you know, cash flow is tight. What do I do?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a significant and a serious problem. I, I think, uh, you know, certainly having, you know, your, your regular meetings with your staff where you're reviewing those kinds of, uh, data points about, you know, where are receivable that, uh, that's part of it is just making sure it's getting attention and that, that it's important that the number in receivables go down. Um, You know, we incentivize people to pay up front or pay in advance. In fact, uh, you know, especially if it's a bigger case, we offer them a financial incentive to pay with check or cash a week ahead of their appointment. And that way they tend to not fail to show for their appointment or cancel it at the last minute. Um, And, uh, you know, certainly... If you've got somebody at the front desk that isn't very uh, successful in, in uh, collecting money from people, sometimes you have to look at, you know, do I have the right person in that position? Do I need somebody who's able to agreeably collect people's money and, uh, you know, not let them escape without giving you something before they leave the office? And, um, you know, we've been pretty good at, about that, and I think I, I attribute that to the person that I've got working up front. But I know that not everybody has the uh has the soft skills to collect that money and, and you know, 'cause once they're out of your out of your office, you know, by the time that uh, bill is sixty to ninety days overdue, it's not worth much at that point and the chances of collecting it ever are much worse than they were during the, the day of treatment or within the first couple of days after treatment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that the value drops quickly. Um and I think um this doc um working through some systems re- re- redoing his systems and I think it you know I mean it takes some time, right? I mean you submit your claim yeah. today and ideally that you know if it if everything is in line and you have um, automatic deposit, you know ACH set up and you have everything that's submitted with the claim that should be you know 21 days, 25 days, you know is is pretty typical. Um, mm-hmm. we push for 21 days. I mean, that's what we're looking at. That's our major in my own office. If a claim mm-hmm. is at 30 days, there's something wrong. You know, either there was a long holiday in there or we screwed up somewhere. That's the only yeah. thing it could be. Um, it's easy to blame the insurance companies, right? I mean, that's the scapegoat. Sure. But, um, I mean, I did some work a while years ago for a company that worked with insurance companies uh, on behalf of the dentist and they would they were basically making the phone calls for the dental office they were making those insurance calls to find out why claims hadn't been paid some overwhelming amount i think the number was 83 84% of the time it was an error it was a submission error it was not mm. the insurance company holding back the funds And that just goes – I mean, and that's proven out time again in my own office. You know, if we've got a claim that's late, it's usually our problem. Um, One time in 15 years we've had to get an attorney involved, and it wasn't our attorney. It was the patient's attorney that had to get involved um, because they weren't paying. But, you know, routine stuff, you should have a 20 to at most 30-day term time. Um, So I think for this doc, it will be a little bit of time, and he's going to start seeing, you know, some of this money start to trickle in that's been quote-unquote fixed um, on their end. So. Well, um, Paul, it's been a phenomenal. I mean, this hour went very quickly. <laughs> we are at an hour too, um, and I, was, I thought maybe we'd go 50 minutes, but um, I, I appreciate your time. Um, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to impart on uh, our listeners um, about uh, you know about what you've learned the last couple of years, or you know what you've learned in dentistry in general, lessons, um, wisdom that you well, think would be valuable?
1: I would say you know you can learn it yourself the hard way or you can get somebody smart and hire them to help you and uh, that's kind of the route I've chosen to go and uh, I still make mistakes and have to learn from them but uh, it's a lot less painful to get a smart person uh, like yourself or another good coach and and get some good direction and learn from their experience
0: yeah I think that's great advice it's timeless advice it keeps it keeps proving itself over and over again. Um, and to follow your advice, I actually, I mean, I, even I have a coach. I've got more than one, and I've got a couple of coaches. And um, one I just coach for me, you know, for me and my business I, I just brought on. And so you're right. I mean, y- you've got to get out of your own way, right, and understand that you don't have to have all the answers to the questions. You should know the questions. You should be able to ask the questions, but you don't need all the answers. So you find people that do, and then you get out of your own way. Um, it seems to work really, really well.
1: I agree.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Paul Carden, Jefferson City, Missouri. Thank you, sir, again for your time today. With us, you shared some really great uh, bits of wisdom and um, you know from your experience. And um, and it's just it's been a great hour. I appreciate it um, from all of us here at Jerry Jones, Direct and Dentist Confidential to our listeners. Thanks again for joining us this, this month. We'll be back again next month. And Dr. Carden, hang tight. And um, I'll wrap this up. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Jerry. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of The Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.